Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. This is almost what I'm saying is would almost be like offensive. Would almost be offensive to say like men should be men. Men should lead their families. Somehow and within the climate of our country, this has become something to where it's like, no, you can't say that. You can't say that. I'm just saying what the Bible says. And what when I stand before Jesus, here's what I expect. I gave you a wife and I gave you some kids. How did you lead them? Well, Jesus, you don't understand what it's like to live in America, in the West, where, you know, culturally we don't do things like that. And he's like, I don't care about your culture. Your culture doesn't define my standards. I set the standards. How'd you lead your family? There are going to be things that change when you come to Christ, but some of those old ways have a tendency to stick around. Pastor James assures us by saying, even an all-night wrestling match with Jesus wasn't going to perfect Jacob. He was still going to go back to Jacob-like tendencies. Isn't that true of us too? We're all on a journey called sanctification. It's a process. He's refining you. You're not perfect. You'll mess up. You're going to make mistakes, and that's a part of the journey. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis, chapter 33, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We've been following Jacob for the past couple of chapters, and chapter 33 is like the reunion, the family reunion of Jacob and Esau. And it's, uh, you know, if you know the history of the two, it's, it's not something that anybody would be looking forward to. I don't know what your family's like, if you have siblings, um, if you get along with your siblings. Um, maybe you've been, you know, kind of like Jacob and Esau, where it's been like 20 years since you've seen your siblings, and maybe the parting was not so good. But maybe there's a day where it's coming back where the Lord says, no, you need to go back. You need to, you, they're your brother. It's your sister. You need to, you know, you need to make it right. Um, that's where we've been just walking through the book of Genesis. And we, see, we saw last week with Genesis 32, Jacob, and just that classic, classic chapter of the Bible where he's getting ready for this reunion. And it's very stressful because if you're older brother by like a second, um, older twin brother, um, told you the last time you saw him was, hey, the next, you know, when our dad dies, I'm going to kill you. And I literally mean that. Um, And he did. And he literally meant that. Uh, So if that was the last thing one of your siblings had told you, you might be a little worried about the reunion. You would be curious as to how that's going to go. You would be like Jacob would and like I do at times where when you have something coming up that you're dreading, you kind of start having this inner monologue inside your brain of like you create this conversation that you think you and that person are going to have and you even create words that they'll be saying to you. Have you ever done that where you're just kind of working through this thing? Okay, I'm going to say this and then they'll probably say that. Then I need to make sure that I clarify, you know, that I'm really sorry for, you know, lying to you, lying to our dad and stealing your blessing and all that good stuff. He's going through all the things that we would normally go through because he's just a normal guy. He's a normal person like you and I. But we saw in Genesis 32 where even though he had his own plans and he's trying to figure this thing out in his own brain of how this is going to work out, Jesus shows up and has a little wrestling match with him all throughout the night. 
And he breaks Jacob down, Jesus does. He breaks Jacob down to the point where Jacob finally has to own up to, okay, this is who I am. I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. And that's who he was. That's exactly who he was. But it took him wrestling all night long with Jesus before he could finally own up to that. And once he owned up to that, then he could receive the new identification, the new character going from Jacob to Israel. That's his new name. That's his new name. And hopefully you've had that experience with Jesus yourself where you've maybe been known as this thing all your life, and then you had that, in, that, that meeting with Jesus, that wrestling match, so to speak, with Jesus, and he breaks you down and to where you finally tap out. You're like, okay, I give up. I'm done fighting. And he says, listen, this is who you are. In me, this is who you are. Now, now let's, let's, let's run with this new character, this new identification. Jacob walks away from the wrestling matches we saw with a, a, a damaged hip. Forever he would walk with a limp. Forever he would walk with a limp. But it did drastically change who he was. Now, did it perfect him? Not at all. Not at all. Even an all-night wrestling match with Jesus was not going to perfect him, so to speak. He was still going to go back to Jacob-like tendencies within his life. In fact, the next chapter, he finds himself doing some of the same things that Jacob was known to do. Isn't that true of us at times as well? Yeah, I surrendered. I gave my life to Jesus 20 years ago, 20 years ago. And I'm not by any means perfect at all, despite what you might think. No, you don't think that. No, you don't think that, right? If you do, you're sadly mistaken. Um, No, but has it Has there been improvement in my character? Is there a fight in me now to want to say goodbye to those old ways? Absolutely. And it'll be like that until the day I die and I meet Jesus face to face. When this glorified body thing happens, when sin is no more and it's no longer an issue. But until then, we're on this journey. It's called sanctification. It's this process that he's kind of like refining us and drawing out the impurities, Drawing out the impurities. But don't think that just because you give your life to Jesus and you surrender to him, that somehow you're supposed to be perfect now because you're not going to be. And if anybody's ever told you that, they were sadly mistaken and they don't really know what the Bible says because you're not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up. You're going to have mistakes. That's, that's part of the journey. It's a growing thing. So as we go through the rest of Jacob's life, I I would hope that you understand that and that you see that, that, yeah, we're going to see him live and act as like, just like Jacob would, but then there's going to be moments in his life where he lives and acts like Israel should, governed by God, okay? So let's look at this, verse 33, verse 1, verse 33, chapter 33, verse 1. This is my kind of day. Um, it's, it's just one of those days. All right, verse 1. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, that's his first wife, Not, he didn't plan on marrying her, Rachel, that's the one whom he really loved, and the two maidservants, and those are the two that his wives gave him so that they could have multiple. There's this whole competition about who could produce more children for Jacob. Very sad. The strange thing is they're making TV shows about this now. It's like so crazy. It's like, wait, what? Multiple wives? Sister wives? No. No, bad idea. Um, That's not biblical. That's a bad idea. Um, Don't do that. Uh, So here he is. He's 
he's portioning out his family, but, but I want you to know something different. Chapter 32, he was planning the same thing. He was going to put all his servants in the front, and then he was going to divide out his family and his Leah. He didn't really love Leah that much, um, but he, he had children with her, and he didn't, definitely didn't love her as much as he loved Rachel. And so he was going to put Leah in front, and then Rachel and Joseph at this time. They hadn't had Benjamin yet, but they were going to, he was going to have Rachel and Joseph kind of at the end. Well, he was going to be at the end, okay? In case Esau and those 400 soldiers started taking out all the servants, it would give him time to bail, to run away. But you can't do that when Jesus touches your hip socket and it becomes dislocated. You can no longer run anymore. Jesus did that on purpose. Jacob learns this lesson. So he still divides out his family, but I want you to look what happens. This is one indication that, yeah, he is a changed man. Verse 2, and he put the maidservants and their children in the front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Verse 3, then he crossed over before them. Does you notice the difference there? See, if you're just casually reading through, you may have missed it, but in chapter 32, he was at the back of the bus. In chapter 33, after wrestling with Jesus all night and having been given a new identity, he's at, the, he's at the front of the line. He's a changed man. He's a changed man. And there are going to be things that change within our lives when we do surrender to Jesus and we give all that we have to him. We're like, listen, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Things do change. There are changes that happen within our lives. But some of that old ways, some of those old ways have a tendency to stick around, and the flesh is what Paul would say. Um, it has its way of just rearing its ugly head and trying to get you to go back to those old ways. But here, Jacob is like, okay, divide out the family, I'm going to take the lead. Because if he's going to kill anybody, deservingly so, it's, it should be me. His wife, his wives, plural, didn't deceive Esau. His children didn't deceive Esau. His servants didn't deceive Esau. He deceived Esau. And if Esau is coming with 400 soldiers is what they are, not the welcoming party, not the welcoming committee. These are 400 soldiers. If he's coming, then the one that they're coming for is him, and he should be at the front of the line. And then it should, if, if Esau did want to enact, you know, revenge, then it would start and it would end with Jacob. That's how it should be. As a man with a family, that's how he should be. That's how he should be. You should be at the forefront. You don't hide behind your wife and your kids. That's cowardly. As a man, you go out in front. You lead. You lead. That is the expectation. I hope we understand that. When, when Jesus threw out the parameters and the expectations for husbands and wives and children and this whole family dynamic, he did it purposefully so that the husbands would be the head of their houses and lead spiritually, not in a dictatorship, not because, well, somehow men are better than women. It's not like that at all. I hope you understand that. I hope you read your Bibles and you see very clearly that Jesus values women just as much as men. Absolutely, but the responsibility, spiritually speaking, is on the shoulders of the men, and they should lead. They should lead. We're in a weird time in our country where it's like, this is almost what I'm saying is, would almost be like offensive. It would almost be offensive to say like, men should be men, and men should lead their families. 
somehow within the climate of our country, this has become something to where it's like, no, you can't say that. You can't say that. I'm just saying what the Bible says. And what, when I stand before Jesus, here's what I expect. I gave you a wife and I gave you some kids. How did you lead them? Well, Jesus, you don't understand what it's like to live in America, in the West, where, you know, culturally we don't do things like that. And he's like, I don't care about your culture. Your culture doesn't define my standards. I set the standards. How'd you lead your family? Ugh. So you can't hide behind anything. We shouldn't want to hide behind anything. We should want to be at the forefront saying, okay, you know what? Hey, if the enemy's coming, let him find me first. Here's the beautiful thing about that. He's not going to find you first because your life is hidden in Christ. And Christ is your defense and Christ is your shield. The enemy's coming for you. Let him find Christ in you. Let Christ be your defense. You don't have to worry about it. Take up that spiritual armor that he's given us, Ephesians chapter 6. And this applies to everybody, not just men, but this applies to everybody. You suit up every single day. And the enemy, when he does, he is going to look for you. He is prowling around like a lion. May he find your your life hidden in Christ. He can't touch you. He can't touch you. He could scare you. That lion is still, I don't care. You could go out in the wilds of Africa. You might come across a lion who has no claws and no fangs, but that thing's still going to scare you. I don't care who you are, right? Like, that's a big cat, right? I don't care if it can only gum me to death, but I'm going to be terrified of that big cat because, well, you're supposed to be in one sense, but that cat, he can't hurt you when your life is hidden within Christ. Here's Jacob. He's just, he's stepping up. For the first time, it seems like in his life, he is stepping up and he is taking the lead. He's taking the lead. So he arranges his family and he sees Esau. And so he's limping right along to go meet his brother, who he's been estranged from for 20 years now. A 20-year reunion that has um, been ordained by God, I believe, to happen in this moment. Little does Jacob know that God's already been at work in the whole situation. That prayer that he prayed in chapter 32 um, has, been answered by, has been answered by God. He prayed and he told God, he's like, listen, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. My brother's coming here and I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to die. God has already taken care of that. He just doesn't know it yet. He hasn't gotten to that moment yet where he realizes that the Lord's already answered that prayer. Verse 33, it says, then he crossed over before them. He bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So you can kind of envision this happening. He's off in the distance, but once they have like eye contact established, he does what was common, at least in that Eastern culture, um, when you have respect or reverence towards someone else. As you're, you are identifying them as a superior to yourself, what you would do is you would bow to them multiple times, seven times to be exact. And so he is doing that. Once he has visual contact, he sees Esau and Esau sees him. And they have that moment where they're like, there's my brother. Jacob starts bowing to the ground and he's bowing and he's displaying to Esau, listen, I submit myself to you. I am acknowledging that you're my older brother and I'm not here for anything other than just to just to make peace with you. That's it. That's it. So that's kind of what he's communicating as he's advancing towards his brother. Look at Esau. Here's how you know the prayer was answered. 
But Esau, verse 4, ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. You need to understand that these men in that culture, they don't run. Nobody runs. You don't run. You run if you're being chased. Okay, there's no like, you know, marathons going on at this point in time. Like, that's just crazy. Nobody just runs for no reason, okay? Like, here it's like the, he, Esau sees his brother and he runs to his brother. That should conjure up in our brains a, a New Testament story that Jesus told of the prodigal son, where the dad's just waiting for the prodigal son to return. And when the prodigal son, when he sees, he has visual contact with his son who went off and blew all the money and did all, you know, lived a, a life that he shouldn't have lived and he knew better and all that stuff. As soon as his dad had visual contact with his son, he booked it. He ran to embrace his son. Here's Esau. Esau is a worldly man. We know that. The, the whole birthright. He didn't want that thing. That meant that he would be like the spiritual head of his family. He wasn't interested in that. That's why he was so willing to sell that to his younger brother for a bowl of whatever they were, beans, okay, for a nice steaming bowl of chili, which sounds really good right now, right? Because you're all like, oh, can you just talk faster? Um, I talk fast. Okay, I'm trying. Um, He didn't want the spiritual headship of the family. He didn't want that to be passed on to him because his dad was the spiritual head of his family, and it would go to Esau, but even before they were born, God had told Esau, or not Esau, but um, Isaac, uh, that, listen, the younger, the younger will be, you know, that burden will be placed on the younger, so the older will serve the younger. So all that's been arranged, but we knew Esau himself, wasn't, he wasn't even concerned about that. He didn't want that. He didn't want that. He's not a spiritual man. He's not. He's a worldly man. But here he is when he sees his brother that he hasn't seen in 20 years. And he probably, he remembers the last thing he said to him, I'm going to kill you when our dad dies. Now, Isaac's still alive at this point in time, but he doesn't care. All that's, for some reason, all that's gone. He's going there with 400 soldiers with the intent of revenge. Somewhere along that journey, and we don't know, somewhere along that journey, his heart changed towards his brother. We don't know what it was. We have no indication. There's no like account of, you know, God showing up like he would do to Laban and says, hey, don't you touch him. Don't even say a foul word to him concerning Jacob. We have no account of that at all. All we know is Esau is going out there with 400 soldiers. And when he sees his brother, he takes off running to his brother and he embraces him and he cries and he kisses him on the neck. This is a good family reunion. This is something that only the Lord could do. I hope you understand that. This is something that only the Lord could do. And, and again, I know family, family dynamics are, are strange. They're just, they're a weird thing, right? Like God puts two people together and then they have offspring. And then in a, in a confined area called a house, all these people have to grow up together. And sometimes it's peaceable. And then most of the time, it's not, especially once they venture into the you know, teenage years, in which we're living that right now with two of ours. We're like, oh, goodness. Um, it's, but you're trying to like figure out how to keep, maintain peace. And is that loving? Is that kind? That's always repeated in our house. Is that loving? Was that kind? No, no, of course not. Um, so we're trying, we're trying, we're trying. But it's just an, it, it's an odd dy- dynamic. But families are something that God has created. He, it's something that he has created. And you 
you have no choice in what family you were born into. You have no choice as to who your parents are. You have no choice as to who your siblings are. That's, that's not up for you. You have no say within that. So I would hope that we trust in the fact that, and this is something that I've been learning, especially on a journey that I've been on recently with reconnecting with some family members of mine, is God has placed you there specifically. And, and what I want to tap into is, okay, Lord, Why? How can, I be, how can I minister to my family, and especially ones that I don't understand and I'm totally different from, and, and we, we're on two different levels in one sense, and I have the Lord, and some of my family doesn't have the Lord, but Lord, you've placed me in this family. Okay, so how do I serve my family? How do I be on mission for, for Jesus in the family that he's placed me in? How do I do that? I would hope that that's our kind of goal, because maybe things are really good. I, I get along great with my brothers. I have two older brothers. I have an older sister. Um, I get along just great with those guys. There's no, there's no Esau, Jacob, Jacob kind of story in that at all. But I do have other family, parents divorced, and my dad's side of the family that I've just reconnected with after like 30 years. It's like, it's all that. It's that like, okay, how do I, Lord, how do I represent you to those guys? And how, Lord, because you placed me in this family for a reason. I don't think it's just like, okay, I placed you in that family and good luck. I don't think that that's how the Lord works. I think he's very intentional in everything that he does. So how do I embrace the situation, the family that he's placed me in? How do I, man, how do I be a light on a hill shining for him? How do I be salt for my family? How do I love my family? How do I be Jesus in one sense? How do I represent Jesus to my family? Families are hard because you grow up together and you know each other's quirks and your you know, idiosyncrasies and, and all that stuff. And you know how to push buttons, especially if you have brothers and sisters. You know the buttons to push that it's going to annoy them and drive them crazy. But you grow up with these guys. And unfortunately, so many times, families are really close initially, and then they not be, I'm not talking about the ones that grow apart naturally because maybe job or college or anything like that. I'm talking about the ones that, the sad ones, where it just kind of breaks apart. And that's, that's, I think that that should break our hearts. Not that every family is always going to be like this. But Lord, if you put me in this family, how do I love even the ones who have kind of broken off in our way over here? And, and how do I minister to those? How do I minister to those that are they're just not like me at all? Jacob and Esau are total opposites, total opposites. Esau's a man of the world. Jacob, he's, he is a man who's on this journey. He gladly embraced that promise that God had given to his grandfather, Abraham, and passed on to Isaac. He gladly embraced that, and he was going to run with it. But before he can start running down that journey in, back into the promised land, he had to have this encounter with his brother. Peace needed to be there. Now, I want you to understand this. They're not best friends after this story. They're not. So don't think that, like, oh, man, am I supposed to be, like, best friends with my brothers and sisters? Do you know what they did to me? I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. But peace was made within this relationship, but we never, we, there, there's probably one account, there will be one more account where they kind of come back together. But as far as living in the same land together, we, there's no interaction between these two. But at least there's peace. Hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken 
There's so much to learn from the pages of Genesis, but sadly, that's all we have time for today on Bread for the Broken. We're so glad you've spent your time with us today and would like to take a moment and let you know how you can hear more of Pastor James Grizzle's teachings. Simply navigate to breadforthebroken.com and click on Teachings to access our archive. Feel free to share the teachings with your friends and family or post them to social media. We love it when we can share the good news of the gospel with anyone and everyone, and you are a part of that. While you're at our website, you'll be able to discover more about the church behind the ministry of Bread for the Broken. Calvary Galveston isn't just another church in our city. We want to be a light for Jesus to all who enter through our doors. We love the Word of God, Jesus, the people of our church, and the people of our city. Do you live in Galveston or are you visiting soon? We'd be honored to meet you in person. Calvary Galveston gathers for Sunday morning services at 10 a.m. Not too early, but in plenty of time to start the week out with worship. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed. Just come as you are. At our service, we search the scriptures for what God wants to teach us, and we spend time reflecting and celebrating Him through worship. Visit breadforthebroken.com for our address and to get more information. We're excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James' teaching. Join us again next time to continue through Genesis and find hope and new life in Jesus. Jesus.